Praise the Lord. Well, take your Bibles out this morning. Turn to the last book of the New Testament. I don't believe we'll be very long here this morning. You know, we live in an age where brutal reality is often denied and pushed aside in favor of fiction and fantasy. Too often, amen, in this hour, when we should be confronted to awake and to arise, we're instead met with the pacifying lullaby of peace and safety. That tends to be the trend from the pulpit in this hour, amen? Unfortunately, we find that it's madly popular to give men what they want instead of giving them what they desperately need. And just like there is a law, amen, of economics, the law of supply and demand, amen, there is also that law in the spirit. And so there is a rising up, amen, of that type of minister and ministry to meet Amen. The demand. Amen. The demand for the clever, for the fork-tongued charmer has never been greater. And it's not surprising that they've taken nearly every pulpit in America. Amen. Indeed, truth tellers are almost as rare as truth lovers. Amen. Today we tolerate anything and everything except, of course, Jesus and his sin-chilling word. Thus our culture has fallen deeply under the perverted spell of sin. Drunk with iniquity, we've waxed stupid, blind, and decadent. We're asleep, as it were, at the wheel, and we're awaiting sudden and utter ruin. Ironically, our only hope is likewise our greatest threat, which is God himself and his word. Amen? We think about it. Amen? The only way that we can be delivered from this insanity of evil and insanity of law-breaking is by God and his word. But that is the very thing that hovers over our national head in judgment. We will either be delivered or we will be judged. But make no mistake, we will be one or we will be the other. There is no escape. Yet for anyone to truly come to God, they must overcome the common deceptions of the day, which are many and varied and always interlinked. But we must overcome, or particularly the individual, must overcome what constitutes a genuine preacher of the Word of God. What constitutes, amen, a genuine preacher of the Word of God? The erroneous picture of the soft-spoken, mild-mannered clergyman who is as hip as he is helpful must be discarded to the ash heap of religious fable. Amen. God has always had his men. God has always had the prophet to expose the king. Amen. To humble the magistrate. Yea, to prophesy even to nations. He's always had human vessels filled with the Holy Ghost, amen, whose tongues are flames of heavenly fire, amen. We're going to be reading here in Revelations chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 10, the account of perhaps the last two God-called human vessels in the church age, amen. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angels stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city given shall be tread underfoot forty and two months." 
And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Amen. I thought here, amen, when you read through this chapter, and particularly these ten verses, a very intriguing question comes to mind, especially when you consider the, the last phrase of the last verse that we just read, verse 10, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Our thought here this morning, where are the tormenting preachers? Where are the tormenting preachers? Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful for your truth, Lord, in your word, Father. We know that every word is true. Every word is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction, Father God. We're thankful, Lord God, that you'll teach us here by your spirit and by your word, Father God, that you would equip us to be the vessels, the preachers, Lord, the human vessel to declare your word in this hour. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Here in Revelations 11, we read the testimony of these two apocalyptic prophets of God. And I believe a very fascinating passage indeed. I have three brief observations for our consideration and application. The first thing that we know here is that these men are irrefutably called of God. They are irrefutably called of God. It says in verse 3, And I, God, will give power unto my two witnesses. So there can be <clears throat> no mistake. <clears throat> this ministry and these two men are God-ordained and God-called. The Bible declares their power and their authority come directly from God. In fact, their ministry was even prophesied of thousands of years in advance. The prophet Zechariah saying in Zechariah 4 and 14, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So God even foresaw, as he of course foresees all things, the ministry of these two uh, in the beginning. Moreover, if they were God-called and they were spirit-blessed, as obviously they are, and we can gather that from our passage, can there be any doubt that they are likewise holy and devout men? 
We know that God would not bless, nor will he use unclean vessels, or at least not consistently used. So could God anoint and empower such men if they did not display the utmost consecration? Absolutely not. Amen? So we can conclude, first of all, here this morning, that their ministry is both God-ordained, amen, and they are Christ-like in their spirit, amen. Who could argue those two points from the information that the Scriptures give us? They were God-called, and they were holy men. Now, this is important to establish, because if we cannot, amen, note that their ministry is God-called, amen, if we cannot confirm that these are holy men in favor with God, neither can we confirm that their methods are scriptural. Amen. The message, the messenger, amen, is going to confirm the method as God blessed. So secondly, amen, we see, amen, that they are primarily called to prophesy. First and foremost, we recognize that they are sent to speak the word of God. They're God-ordained. They have been separated and consecrated for a holy purpose. God called them. God filled them. God's spirit abides upon them. They're empowered even to do the supernatural, amen, and all so that they can speak the mind of God. And they shall prophesy, it says, a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now the term there prophesy, it means to speak under divine inspiration. So indeed, these men are called to declare the mind of God, to interject, as it were, God's mind into a world absolutely bent on sin. Amen? Now again, there is the mention of the miraculous. There is fire in judgment. There is drought and turning rivers to blood, smiting the earth with plagues. Amen? But this is all so that their testimony can be completed. Amen? For we see, amen, as soon as their testimony, the Bible says, is fulfilled, amen, then they are martyred. So God's hand is lifted, the hand of protection amen, is lifted after they are through speaking the mind of God, amen. And so it is with the miraculous. When you really look to the uh, at the relation of the miraculous, amen, with the word of God and with the declaration of the word, it is often given, amen, to uh, give the preeminence to the spoken word. So the testimony here uh, and testimony speaks of a divine witness or a divine report. These are God-called holy men who have a divine report to give to the men on the earth. Hence, we can conclude these men are sent by God to speak for God. They have something that God wants said, amen, to the men on planet earth, amen. And we have to understand this. And I believe that we do. We've talked about it many times before. But I fear that many, amen, don't comprehend the importance of the spoken word, the message, the proclamation of the mind of God is of the utmost importance. God is seeking for consecrated vessels willing to say what needs to be said. Amen. And there's a lot in that statement. There is a mouthful in such a statement. For someone who is willing to just say what needs to be said, there are a lot of things that need to be said in this hour that never 
never get said. There are a lot of pulpits across America where men will almost say what needs to be said, but they won't say what God wants said. Amen. And the great need of this hour is for someone to simply just speak the Word of God. You say, well, Brother Brent, amen, the message is important, but is not the messenger just as important? I believe the messenger is important in the fact that the messenger must be a holy and a pure conduit for God to speak through. Because if he doesn't live in purity, if he doesn't live a consistent life before God and the anointing, then he will never have the boldness and he will never have the courage to say what's needed to be said in the hour that it's needed. Amen. It's very important, the message that must be said. But it's not the messenger that delivers anybody. Amen. But it's the Word of God. So the message takes precedent over the messenger. And again, these men do not speak their own words, but they speak the words of God. And think about it. So evil and so hostile is the environment that we read about here in Revelations chapter 11 that these divinely separated men must be protected by God himself simply to communicate what God thinks about it. Friend, we are approaching, amen, an hour, amen, where this culture is so antichrist that you would need divine protection merely to say what God says about it. Merely to express, amen, the mind of God regarding any issue. Think about it. So evil, amen, so hostile the environment that God has to supernaturally protect him so that the message, the divine report can be fully communicated. Moreover, amen, they were sent where God knew that they would be unwelcomed and unwanted and for the most part ineffectual as far as their reception. When I say ineffectual, I mean as far as their reception. And that should teach us, this example should teach us that truth, amen, that success is not based upon the reception or the response of the audience. It is never based on that. But, you know, you hear people who say, well, you know, it isn't going to do any good to preach down at the Gay Pride Parade or the Gay Pride Festival. It's not going to be any good to preach there, those people, they're not going to listen to what you have to say in that environment. Or, you know, Southern decadence or something that wicked and that, you know, I can't believe God would really send someone into that. Or, I don't know how good it's going to do for someone to preach at Mardi Gras. Or, you know, you've heard it said and I've heard it said, you know, just going out to that strip club on a Friday night. That's that's not the right place to do that. Amen. You're not going to be really effectual and preaching the word of God there. Amen. No one wants to hear what you have to say in such venues. Listen to me. We have an example right here. God sent some men into a place where he knew they would be murdered for their message. Totally and utterly rejected. And they were effectual. Or they shall be, rather, should I say. They shall be effectual in their ministry. Because they will communicate the mind of God. The word of God will be declared. Jesus Christ will be exalted. Sin will be humbled and abased. And God will be glorified. Amen. I do believe that we need to be led of the Holy Ghost. Amen. But don't you ever come to the place where you think... 
It does absolutely no good to preach at a place like Mardi Gras. Amen. If you come to believe that, then you've forgotten the ultimate end of declaring the Word of God. It is for His glory. Amen. He is well pleased because His mind is interjected into an environment, amen, void of light. Let the light shine. Amen. Let the works of darkness be exposed. Let the moral law of God be shined afresh upon the conscience. Let men bear witness with the voice of their Creator. This is the call of the preacher. The burden of the preacher is to do the will of of God. The burden of the preacher primarily is to obey his master. Amen. The burden of the preacher is to speak what thus saith the word of God. And that burden drives a man to obey, to face the enemy. Amen. To rise up and boldness and declare, thus saith the Lord. Amen. This is the burden of the preacher. And surely it was the burden of these two. God even sent them where he foretold of their martyrdom. Amen. They were killed for what they preached. Utterly rejected and rejected by the entire world. They were sent to the men that dwell upon the earth, the Bible says. And it says they all, kindreds, nations, tongues, amen, they hated and despised, rose up in one accord, in agreement to rid the earth of such holy men, murdered them for their message. Why? Amen. Think, listen to me, what do we know about these men? All that we've learned thus far is they were God-called, they were Christ-like, and they spoke the word of God, and they were murdered for what they said. And finally here this morning, amen, their ministry is described as tormenting. Their ministry is described as tormenting. That wouldn't be popular in this hour to say, what is the mark of your ministry? How would God, amen, approve of your ministry? What words of commendation would the Holy Ghost utter over you to say that God is well pleased? Well, God said that my ministry was tormenting to the sinful conscience, that my ministry tormented men who lived in rebellion to God. That wouldn't be very popular. But it is scriptural, amen. It's very scriptural. And they that dwelt upon the earth shall rejoice over them. Rejoice over what? Rejoice over that they're dead. Amen. And they'll make merry. What are they making merry over? They're making merry because the two preachers that preached against their sin have been martyred. And they shall even send gifts one to another. I don't understand that. Amen. Maybe it'll be at Christmas time. Amen. The pageantry of all the pagan celebration will blend in with the martyrdom of righteous blood. I don't know. But it says here they send gifts. So happy. So delighted. So are they rejoicing over the removal of the divine light through these two heavenly called men that they're going to send gifts to one another to celebrate their martyrdom. Amen. Why? Because these two God-called prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. What a divine 
compliment. What a divine compliment. Amen. They are God called. They are Christ like. Yes, they're like Jesus. They're holy. They're led of the Holy Ghost, filled with the Spirit. Yet their ministry has a tormenting quality. Today, if ministry is seen as anything but soothing, comforting, and accepted, it cannot be affirmed by the religious machine. The minister is above all to be inoffensive in the extreme and to appeal to the sinner on his own spiritual level. You know, I've noticed over time, and I haven't been saved very long, but I've noticed that today the very term preacher is now often discarded for clergy and reverend and minister because overall the view of preaching is seen, amen, as archaic and offensive, outdated, something that we no longer do. Of course the minister is to give a little talk. Of course, the reverend, amen, is to speak to us very kindly and to inform us of spiritual facts. But preaching is another type of communication altogether. Amen. True Holy Ghost preaching, amen, is very personal. True Holy Ghost preaching can get in your front pocket. True Holy Ghost preaching is going to probe. It's going to discern the thoughts, the intents, and the motives of the heart. True Holy Ghost preaching is not men speaking about God, but God speaking through men to men. Amen. It's an altogether different class of communication, and it is utterly and completely despised. Amen. In this hour. Careful consideration is made to make both the messenger and the message as culturally palatable as possible. If there is direct engagement at all, it must be done so very carefully with generous diplomacy and elaborate salutation. The delicate psyche of the sin lover must not be enraged or disappointed. He must, at the very least, tolerate the God that we present. Amen. The God they present. Amen. And so there's the begging. There is the pleading for someone just to like the God. And we can, you know, make adjustments and we can correct, amen, our image of God if that's too severe for you. Amen. Great emphasis is placed on results as a direct correlation to biblical accuracy. In other words, the unconscious Hidden thought is surely, if we are anointed, we will be accepted. Jesus' words in John 15 and 18, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Amen. Have been forgotten. And now they've been unconsciously replaced with if the world hates you, do something different. Because you must be going about it wrong. And yet the Bible says, of these two God-called, Holy Ghost-empowered, Christ-like preachers of the Word of God, that they tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Amen. I've heard people say, Oh, I'm so grieved. I'm troubled. I've come to you because I'm just grieved. I can't hardly sleep. Y'all are out here, and you're tormenting these poor students at LSU. And you think that Jesus is pleased about. You know, I came out here just to talk. When I heard you preaching and I heard these people here minister, it just bothered me so. I was going to walk away, but I was grieved. 
Why were you grieved? I was grieved in my spirit because you're out here just tormenting people. You're out here just troubling, stirring up trouble. Amen. Listen to me. There's people that do not know the Word of God. And they do not know the Spirit of God. Amen. There's nothing wrong with the truth. There's something wrong with those who despise the truth. Moreover, so universally hated and despised were these two prophets that not one person was willing to give them a decent barrel. You think about that. I remember when I was in the military, I heard stories about, you know, the battlefield. To leave a dead body, even to leave a fallen soldier, that was something that they never hardly did. I mean, they would go back and risk their life to get that body out of that battlefield and bring it home for a decent barrel. Amen. It was considered something of a great disrespect. It happened, of course, because there were occasions where it was impossible. But, you know, men would risk their lives to see that men had a decent barrel. It says there in 11 and 9, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now, what's the reasoning behind this? Amen. Well, I can tell you it's hatred. That's what it is. I don't know the exact reason, but it is gross, seething hatred for God and for His Word. Amen. The only thing that they can get to are those two representatives of God. So they either were too hateful to bury them, amen, too afraid of what others would think to act otherwise. In other words, someone may have thought, maybe they need a burial. I think that's terrible. They ought to bury. But I'm too afraid of what the masses will think if I side with them. Or they found delight in seeing them dead. They wanted to prolong their celebration, amen, of the silencing, amen, of the sin-chilling word of God, amen. Think of how much hatred we're talking about here, only because men were God-called, Christ-like, and spoke the word of God. These men are not preaching another gospel, amen, than we ought to preach. These men are not preaching, amen, another testament. They're preaching the New Testament. Amen. And the old as well. Or rather, should I say, they're preaching the Bible. Amen. They're preaching what Paul preached. They're preaching what Peter preached. They're preaching what Jesus preached. They're preaching what Isaiah the prophet preached. They're preaching what every God-called, God-ordained man of God has ever preached. They're utterly hated, despised, and martyred. Now, I don't believe it was God's intention to send these two prophets to torment anyone though he knew their ministry would have that effect. Nor do I believe that these two prophets purposed to torment. Do you understand? I don't believe, amen, that they came just to torment. In fact, I believe that there was an undertone of redemption with their message. As as always, I believe that God is going to have that undertone of redemption. I believe many times God comes to reprove of sin. He comes to speak the word of God, to warn of judgment. The Holy Ghost anoints men, amen, to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment, amen. So I believe that they came, of course, to reprove. 
But I also believe that they were burdened, amen, for the spiritual welfare of mankind. It says they were clothed with sackcloth. Amen. They were clothed with sackcloth. With men, they came with a message of mourning. I believe they mourned for the glory of God. I believe they mourned, amen, for a creation in rebellion against its maker. But I believe they also mourned for they knew that multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision that untold millions would be damned to hellfire forever. But you know, what was it that made people react with such violence? It was the probing, searching, exposing, sin-choking effect of the Word of God. The effect that it has, amen, when it is interjected, anointed by the Holy Ghost into spiritual darkness. There is always going to be a violent clash. There is always going to be a volatile amen, uh, uh, explosion in the spirit when light confronts darkness. Ephesians 5, 11 through 13 it says it have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. The light is not the messenger though the messenger may carry the light. The light, amen, is in the Word of God and in the rudiments of Christ and the Spirit of God that abides upon and within the human vessel submitted to God. It's light that exposes the works of darkness. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Amen. And God is light. Amen. And light comes to expose man for what he is and reveal God, high, holy, and exalted. The point is not that these two men did torment. That's not the point of the message. Amen. They tormented, so let's you and I seek to torment someone. That's not what God is trying to communicate to us here today. But rather, amen, don't seek to avoid tormenting someone. In fact, amen, don't be worried about the response at all. Amen. Just simply look to God who has sent you and God who has filled you and God who has called you and God who has given you His Word. He's entrusted you with something to say. And every God-called man knows, I have something I must tell you. I have something to say. If you don't have something to say, if you don't have a word that's burning in your bosom, then you're either not called or you're not alive to that call. Amen. Because the God called man, amen, he must preach. Woe unto me if I preach not what God has entrusted to me. Amen. The God called man has something to say. The God called man has the mind of God. The God called man is sent with a word from heaven and he must speak that word or the blood will be upon his hands no the message here today is not that we seek to torment but don't avoid tormenting someone amen if they be tormented or if they not be tormented if they hear or if they don't hear if they come under or if they forbear amen if they love you or if they reject you it doesn't matter has the word been declared they may be tormented and they should be if they're in sin and refuse to repent.
When a society becomes so demon-possessed that the truth torments them, the truth-tellers are not to blame, but the truth-haters, amen. The truth-haters are to blame. Those that cannot stand the message. Amen. You see, listen to me. Think about it. The illusions, and I'm not suggesting we couldn't be more anointed. We couldn't be better messengers of the gospel. You understand that? I'm not saying, amen, every Friday night. We, we Listen to me. We have failed to communicate the pure mind of God many times. Would we agree to that? Amen. We have failed to accurately represent Jesus many times. But the reason for the hatred, the reason for the hatred, for example, at the Illusions Club, is simply because we tell them that undressing women for money is sin and God don't like it. Amen. That's why they don't like us. Amen. They don't like the law of God that forbids the sin that they love. Amen. That's an unpopular thought. Nevertheless, it's biblical. Amen. We tend to torment many students at LSU and SOU because we simply urge them to stop sinning, submit to God, and follow Jesus. That's what we're telling people. I have people come up out there almost every time we visit. I'm against what you're saying. What am I saying? Do you know what I'm saying? How many times have you heard me preach? How many, how many times have you sat out here and listened? You know, I can tell you what I'm saying. I'm saying stop sinning, sinner. Obey God, amen, and follow Jesus. Now, what's wrong with that message, amen? It's not, that's all I'm saying. That's all these brethren are saying. We're just quoting the word of God to them, and they abhor it, amen. The problem is not with the message. The problem is with those who hate the message of God. And as I mentioned, amen, we can always be more Christ-like. We should always be burdened. To be more anointed. To be a more accurate representation of Jesus Christ. We should be grieved anytime we haven't fully preached the gospel. And we haven't fully preached the gospel if we in any way misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, the problem is not with our message, but with our method. Amen. It's with the culture, or pardon me, our problem is not the message or the method, but with our culture. Amen. I want you to think about it. There wasn't a lack of preachers in this future hour, but God only sent two. You think he sent enough? Yeah. Only two for the whole earth. So you couldn't blame, you really couldn't say there wasn't the declaration of truth. But the famine was what? Of the hearing of the truth. No one would say, well, there wasn't enough preachers. Because God surely sent enough preachers. Amen. You see, listen to me, the decline of any people, the decline of any family, the decline of any, let's go all the way, the decline of any single soul, the decline of any marriage, the decline of any family, the decline of any church, the define, the decline of any people, the decline of any nation, the decline of any culture, amen, is when they reject preaching that tends to torment the conscience in sin. And any time you reject that type of preaching, amen, you're on the beginning of the road 
out of the kingdom of God and into gross darkness and apostasy. And what do you hear from the religious? The collective religious mind. The religious thinkers of our day. There is an undercutting and an undermining of preaching that doth torment the sinful conscience. It's the decline of any nation. Amen. Listen, consider. When has there ever been a God-called, sin-exposing preacher called to confront a wicked culture, amen, who has been accepted? And listen to me. There has never been a (laughs) God-called preacher that doesn't expose sin. Every God-called preacher is called, amen, to preach and to preach to the heart and to the conscience by the word of God and spirit. But when can you think of a God-called, sin-exposing preacher, amen, that was sent to confront a wicked culture who's been accepted? You know, there have been a few. You know, the first that comes to my mind is Jonah and Nineveh. Amen. But this is the rare exception and not the rule. The vast majority of cases. And listen to me. We know that men are free moral agents. Is that right? So it's not the message. The message is, you know, mirrors and reflects the image of God who is immutable and unchanging. The message is static. The message is unchanging. It is man that must conform to the Word of God and not the Word of God to culture or man. The Word is always the same. There may be different situations, different applications or emphasis of that Word, but it is always the same. But the vast majority of cases, the godly preacher's message tends to annoy and torment Those who God intends to deliver. Because you see, the choices are always one or the other. You see, when the word, there's nothing more important. It is central to everything. You know, you've heard it said, you'll never be the same after you sit under the word. This word preached to you here this morning. It is going to eternally affect you according to your response to this word. Amen. It is either going to break you or harden you. You're either going to be more conformed to the image of Christ or more hardened. But it has an eternal effect on those that hear it. Amen. You see, there's only two choices. It will either deliver or it will damn. If it is truly the message of God, anointed by the Holy Ghost, it will either deliver or it will damn. Amen. And so it makes perfect sense. It's perfectly reasonable and rational and logical that such a message would torment those who resist it and are obstinate amen, against its claims. Like Ahab responded to Elijah, Art thou he that troubled Israel? Most see the God-called man and his message as a troublemaker. But as Elijah answered Ahab, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Amen. Likewise, the real troublemakers, according to God and his word, are not the preachers of righteousness, but those who do break the law of God. Amen. That's where the trouble lies. Amen. And you see, God has always had such men, men who confront kingdoms. Amen. 
even men who address and rebuke kings on the throne, men who call nations to repentance. He's never had a problem raising up a man and filling a man who will go to torment those who live in sin. But you wonder in this hour that there are so few when many say that they are the vehicle of God to speak. Think about it. John the Baptist. Could we say that John was a tormenting preacher? I believe that we could. He lost his head for his message. And God chose him, listen, to open the New Testament. Amen. Introducing the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He was a spokesman. He came. Amen. Make your path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's something to that. The first evangelist. Amen. The first man that God put his hand upon to exalt. Amen. And uh, Jesus and to point the world to the Lamb of Christ. And very fittingly, the last two witnesses. Amen. They close the final book. Preachers that do torment those who are obstinate and sinful on the earth. Amen. We should not think of these ministries, these two men, as a fringe ministers. Are their ministries as fringe? But we should see them as typical. Amen. And not just typical in evangelism, but typical in regards to the church as well. Because there should be pre- preaching. Amen. That is anointed of God. If you are here this morning and you are in sin, it is the will of God that you be delivered and set free. But if you refuse deliverance, may you be tormented. May you be tormented to God that you would be tormented. You see, such preaching, amen, it becomes very personal at times. Not all preaching is like that, amen. I agree. I believe there's teaching. I believe there's other ministries that the Holy Ghost blesses and uses. But there must be that type of preaching where the individual, even believers, recognize, amen, to come into the house, amen, to yoke myself, amen, with the people of God, there is going to be a ministry that is going to speak to the heart. Amen. I'm not going to just, you know, pull off the externals or play this out in the external. But by and by, I'm going to be exposed. Amen. The heart is going to be dealt with. God is going to put his finger on it. Amen. Things are going to become very personal. And listen to me, with such preaching, you only have two choices. You either receive it or it offends you. That's the kind of preaching that brings life. If you don't have the opportunity to be offended with it, then it probably is not digging too deep. Probably not digging too deep. You see, we need to love that kind of preaching. We, we, we need to want that and desire that. I remember as a, as a young Christian and sitting under that kind of preaching. Preaching where I dare not assume. Amen. I, I thought any time. It'd be something I fell into, repented of three, four weeks, three months ago. I think I'm going to come into church today. They're going to call it out from the pulpit. 
I mean, that kind of atmosphere where you, you, you write with God, amen, and you still think, I, I, I hope I really did repent and I'm cleansed because somebody might read my mail, amen, from the pulpit today. Such an atmosphere is what it ought to be. And I can remember then going, amen, to other places and even that place waxed, amen, it took a step back and another step back and that type of atmosphere supercharged with the fear of God was lost. And I can remember longing for such a word to be declared because that word is life where there's life death is exposed but where there's no life everything is under the death kill amen there must be that life there must be that declaration there must be that gut cry there must be a ministry that torments, amen, the, the soul and the conscience that refuses to forsake all sin. And the message that God would have us to know here this morning, what God wants to communicate to us, is we need to never take such preaching for granted. Amen. We need to love and desire that type of preaching. Amen. And we need to desire to be vessels that will preach that type of message. That we can love the preacher that torments the sinful conscience. And that we can be a vessel that can speak words of life that exposes the heart that refuses to repent. Will you stand here this morning? Amen. Let's consecrate ourselves afresh along those lines. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Let me be a lover. Let me receive. The love of the truth. I don't ever come, want to come to a place where I receive the lie. Oh, I want to be confronted. I, I love reproof, Lord God. I want it to be personal. I realize, Lord, if you speak to me, sometimes you're going to hem me up. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not just going to be something that I intellectually may not, uh, you know, uh, like. But sometimes it's going to be overall very spiritually uncomfortable for you to challenge and to confront me. And I do receive that. I do embrace it. Lord, give me a heart to receive the ministry that comes from you. And Lord, I want to be a vessel that can speak your word. Whether it torment, whether it deliver. Let me just be faithful. Let me be faithful to speak the word of God. The truth and love. Amen. Would you pray? Give us more.